This is Joy in Crisis, a 13-week Bay City Church sermon series on the book of Philippians. To learn more about us, visit baycity.church. The word anxiety just makes people anxious. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm anxious even hearing the word anxiety. You know, the coronavirus outbreak, George Floyd's death, police protests, all of these different recent events, there's too many to even talk about and count. All of these are so prevalent today. Check this out. 36% of Americans told an American Psychiatric Association poll that the pandemic, coronavirus, has had a serious impact on their mental health. 36%, okay? One out of every three people. According to a People Say poll, 31% of Americans say that they're sleeping less because of coronavirus-related anxiety. Now, just keep in mind, these studies were done April 2nd, okay? We're now into the summer. Now, that was at the, maybe within a month of the beginning of coronavirus. So imagine all of the things that have happened since and then add on top of that police brutality and race relations and government proceedings and politicians, all this stuff. So imagine how high 36 and 31% is now, okay? Really high. We are all feeling this. All of us are feeling the, the pressure of anxiety here. Rihanna Holmes, uh, a, a trauma therapist specializing in disaster psychology, she says this, my private practice has seen a huge uptick in new clients because people are feeling really anxious. Interestingly, many of them don't necessarily relate it to coronavirus, but if something or if someone has a pre-existing conditions like anxiety or depression, Stress is likely to bring out problematic symptoms in light of the pandemic. Depression and anxiety thrive on social isolation and disruption of routine. That is profound, guys. Remote psychiatric therapy services like Talkspace and Brightside have seen an increase in demand. Talkspace said that since the coronavirus began in March 12th, 65% increase in customers. 65%. Brightside has said they had a 50% increase in new users. Profound. You know, I myself have struggled with anxiety in the past. In fact, I had clinical anxiety as a child. I would wake up and have crazy panic attacks as a kid. And since I can remember, five or six years old. And uh, they were very difficult for me to experience. And it really wasn't until I became an adult, really well into my mid-20s, 24, 25, 26 years old, where I was actually able to kind of help manage some of those, uh, those panic attacks. They were really hard for me. Now, the man writing this passage here, Paul, had to be a man acquainted with anxiety. Think about it, right? Like, he's in prison, two, two years in prison. The thought of prison for me gives me panic attacks even right now. Like, I couldn't even imagine. I don't even know what I'd become if I had to go to jail. Think about this. Paul's been in jail. He's been beaten. He's, been, he's probably afraid to leave his house at times. Anxiety must have ruled him. But then, here he is writing about anxiety. And you're thinking he's going to write, I need help. Help me. I'm anxious. And then here's what he writes. Listen to this. Verse 6. Listen to this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. <laughs> I'm surprised by this. Let's be honest. I mean, if this was my letter from prison, it would probably look a lot worse handwriting. And also, you know, it wouldn't be this kind, okay? But if you're like me, you read this and you're hearing this and you have anxiety, you're thinking, great, Paul, this is a genius plan. Your key for me to stop being anxious is to tell me to not be anxious. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing, Paul. I'll just stop now. That doesn't help me, does it? There must be more to it than that, right? There's got to be something else here that we're missing. So let's read it again. And let's read verse 7 along with it. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, don't be anxious about what? Anything. Okay, now I'm getting more anxious. He said anything. So what? there's a lot of stuff that's bad. Should I be anxious? And then he says, but in everything, by prayer and thanksgiving, pray to God. So not only am I supposed to not be anxious about anything, but I'm supposed to pray about everything? Oh, that sounds like a lot of work. And now that there's more work in my plate, I feel like I'm even more anxious. Like I'm overwhelmed even thinking about it. Somehow, though, we're going to get great peace out of praying to God. So the formula seems to be like, the formula seems to be like, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, be thankful and by prayer, give it to God and you will receive what? The peace of God. So it seems like the formula of prayer and thanksgiving will lead to peace. So that leads me to say this, peace is the antidote to anxiety. Peace is the antidote. When you have the presence and power of peace, you will not be anxious. But it's not just any peace, okay? There's a special peace that comes to, that leads to the elimination of anxiety. And that special peace comes in three parts. And so if, if we really want the peace of God in our lives, we're actually going to have to understand it in all three of its facets or any general peace will not do. So what do we learn? The first part we learn is a divine peace. Remember, three-prong approach to this peace. The first part of it is that it's divine. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which all surpasses all understanding. So you need not just any peace, you need God's peace. So this is not meditation or your own sort of calmness, but actually peace you acquire from walking with Jesus, okay? So anxiety that's not like clinically and it's not like biological in you is often a failure to put trust in the divine God. That's what we're saying. Anxiety really though is this giant attempt to wear God's shoes for a second. So instead of divine peace, we want our own peace. And so we wear God's shoes for a second and control the future. That's what we do. And by the way, you can't control the future. Neither can I. And yet anxiety is really a direct result of us trying to control the future. There's an episode of The Office. I don't know if you watch that show, but there's an episode of The Office where one of the workers, Oscar, freely criticizes, he freely criticizes the actions of the company because the company's got financial issues and he has several ideas of how he can mitigate the company's financial problems. So he's ranting in the office about what they need to do. It's so simple. And he says a few times, it's so simple. This is all they need to do and they will fix all their problems. But Oscar is just an employee and they're C-level people that are working the company. So his, his boss, Michael Scott, his manager, brings him into the board of directors to give him, to finally let Oscar share the weight and responsibility of changing a company with thousands of employees. And you know what he does? He clams up, he freezes, he stutters, and then he bolts out of the room. That's what he does. He's afraid he's gonna get fired. The weight of responsibility of trying to just figure out the future of this company was too much for him. It's a silly analogy, but it's true for us. When we put God's shoes on and try to know the future, we cripple under the pressure. Our hardware is not geared for the software meant for a sovereign God. We cannot, we cannot handle it. So how do we get out of this? Well, we get peace through prayer. That's what it says. Uh, gee, another easy one. Well, I just got to pray and I, and I get peace. But not just any kind of prayer, okay? Prayer 
with thanksgiving. Prayer is offered with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Some of us are like, I don't do that. I don't like to be thankful. I'm a bitter person. I'm grumpy, you know? An attitude of gratitude accompanies all true approaches to the Father. You see, this mindset of, of thanksgiving is essentially a, realize, is a realization of what God has done for you, and it gives you perspective. So you can look back on your life, even if it was hard, and say, you know what? God brought me through my past. He brought me through all of the hard things, and I'm thankful for that. And so now I can trust that God will eventually bring me through the future, even though it's uncertain, because he's always been there for me. You understand what I'm saying now? So you're able to look back on your hard situations in your life and trust that God is going to do some good things for you. That's the first prong, divine. Second prong approach to peace needs to be transcendent. Transcendent peace. Look at verse 7 again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Now, this kind of peace overcomes our understanding and misunderstandings. Do you know that you can have peace beyond what you understand? For some of us, we only have peace within what we understand, or at least what we think we understand. But this is fundamental, because a wise person understands that there's always going to be much that we don't get. Do you understand? So, you will always live in an understanding deficit in this world, because this world and our God are not fully knowable. The sooner you can make peace with that, the sooner you can gain real peace in your life and get rid of anxiety. Now, some will say, this isn't really true. I'm, scientists are learning more and more every day about our planet, about science, about archaeology, about physics. Understanding goes, by the way, beyond more than just mere book knowledge. These scientists you claim to be so powerful and so special, they don't even know whether or not they'll be alive tomorrow. There's a lot we don't know about this world. and includes whether or not we're going to take another breath. That sort of knowledge is reserved for a transcendent God. And when we try to wear the shoes of God in that moment, we just feel overwhelmed and we can't do it. And that's what anxiety is. People that have peace in their lives are people either, one of two, that either assume they know everything and so they have peace. Or they're people that have transcendent peace because they know God knows everything and I trust him even though I don't know everything. I hope that you're in the latter position, not the former. Because people that, don't know, that think they know everything will eventually realize there are things they don't know. Peace transcends understanding. Peace transcends understanding. Now, some things are knowable, right? Some things are understandable. Just because something's understandable doesn't mean it brings peace, though. Because some things are terrifying even if you do understand them. Think about a scientist who discovers that there's a meteor headed towards the planet or a comet headed towards the planet. Now, he understands that the world is going to blow up when that meteor hits, but that does not bring him peace. Okay? So just because you understand something does not mean it provides peace. There has to be something more. And that's this, third, third, the third prong of the three-prong approach. Peace will guard you. You need peace that will guard you. Verse 7 again, which surpasses all understanding, this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, again, Paul, like he's been doing all this series, using a military term, Right? He's using the military term here, implying peace essentially will stay on guard around you. Now think about your heart and your mind uh, literally being protected with physical guards by people that are uh, agents of peace that are protecting you from all of the unwanted intruders of anxiety. So prayer is you thanking God and then essentially God ordering peace around your heart and your mind to protect you to keep you safe from anxiety. Now I guess this begs the question and maybe you're thinking this question as well. What does peace guard us from? 
what anxiety? Well, it guards you from really unsafe thoughts, thoughts that were in danger, you understand? You see, anxiety really at its core, it could be a good thing, for instance. Like, for instance, you're walking through the forest and you see a fresh set of bear prints. Your, and your body starts to, your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate speeds, and you're becoming anxious. Well, that's telling your body physiologically to run. You need to get out of there because there's a bear nearby. Or you're going through and you hear the cat, you know, the, a cowl of a, of a jaguar and you're in the jungle, right, in, this, in Central America. And you're like, what was that? That's a jaguar. It's time to run, right? Or there's a polar bear or a wolf or whatever it is. You see an animal or a shark and you go, a shark fin, time to leave, okay? Anxiety in those moments is not necessarily bad, right? It's not bad. It's a natural means of your body protecting itself. But today's anxieties aren't as dangerous. Our anxieties today are email, ding, text message, bzzz, bzzz. Facebook rants from grandma or Aunt Sally, right? Twitter rants from said politician or said uh, political activists that annoy you. And what these things do is they set you into chronic anxiety, not acute anxiety, but chronic anxiety. And now you're taking slow drips of anxiety all day and you're overdosing on it, overdosing on it. So your body's in a perpetual state of chronic anxiety. Now it's good to have anxiety when a bear is chasing you, but your bodies are in overdrive and they think a bear is always chasing you. That's the problem. And because you think a bear is always chasing you, it's really not a bear, by the way, it's email or it's, or it's a text message or it's you know, your children or it's your spouse or it's something else or it's technology, whatever. Because you think a bear is always chasing you, you're in a state of chronic anxiety. Now, as a result, our bodies are being destroyed. Our adrenal dysfunction is rampant. We're losing the HPA access in our bodies thrown off. Our adrenal glands can't wake us up in the morning. Our cortisol is through the roof. We just are all messed up because of a result of all this anxiety. And it leads to things like burnout and hormone dysfunction. But the peace of God keeps fear in its proper perspective. You see, if, the, if, the, if, if God's peace is on guard for you. It doesn't make us ignorantly blissful, though. As if we see bear tracks in the woods and go, ah, whatever. The bear is going to eat me. I love Jesus. I'm okay. It doesn't make you do that. But when the world demands you to stress out, you become unmoved because the peace of God is within. Okay? Okay, we've got this three-pronged approach, but there's a few other things Paul wants us to do with it. The next thing is that he wants us to cultivate an environment in which your peace will flourish. Now, this is probably key for most of us. Verse 8. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there are any excellence, if there is any excellence, rather, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, this speaks to the need of rearranging life and thought throughout, throughout our lives so we can discipline ourselves and so that the peace of God can freely work, right? You need to rearrange your life with these tenets, truth, Honor, just, uh, justice, purity, being lovely, commendable, and excellent. Rearrange your life so that those things are good and those are the only things that are inputting in your life and you'll create an environment for peace. But you know, we do the exact opposite. We don't create an environment for us to experience peace. We create an environment for us to experience anxiety. And so what do we do right when we wake up? Right to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, what do we see? something that is not true, not honorable, not just, and not pure. We immediately create an environment for, for anxiety to flourish. And then we're immediately checking emails in the morning before work hours, 
because now we're stressed out and now we're eating junk food and we're stressing out because of it and we're over-caffeinated. Are you arranging your life so that you can have truth, honor, justice, and purity in your life? If not, why not? Because that's the environment that helps you avoid anxiety. You may be addicted to things you shouldn't be addicted to. Those things are causing you an environment for anxiety. Many of us have crafted environments for anxiety not just to exist but to flourish. 24-7 access to you and your boss, no Sabbath, poor eating, overbooked, constantly on social media. I had the opportunity to, to uh, a few months ago to meet with John Ortberg, who is a pastor at Menlo Church here in the Bay Area, and he's one of you know, uh, my favorite authors. He wrote the book Soul Keeping, and I recommend it to you, but he gives me this quote from Dallas Willard, who is one of his mentors, and he gave me this quote at the end of our conversation, and I wanna give it to you. He says this, arrange your days so that you are living in deep contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. Please read that again for me. Arrange your days so that you are living in deep contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. And then he said this to me, you have to arrange your days. Nobody's gonna arrange your day for you. Your, your spouse isn't gonna do it. Your kids aren't gonna do it. Your boss isn't gonna do it. Your pastor isn't gonna do it. Your cousin's not gonna do it. Your best friend's not gonna do it. You have to do it. The same is true for your anxiety and for your peace. You have to arrange your life in such a way that you experience peace and joy and contentment in God. And you're in charge of arranging that time. The next thing, and the last thing, Paul says, is to look to the lives of good people and imitate them. You know, there's a narrow-minded perspective in Christianity today that essentially says no one kind of is worthy of an example to follow. You know, with Twitter being exposing people and cancel culture, we can't really look at any pastors or, or uh, faithful leaders in the faith and, and look to them and follow them. We should only follow Jesus because pastors and leaders and my friends are all broken. Faith leaders are broken. My parents are broken. Well, in one sense, yeah. In one sense, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Paul here, he calls himself worthy of following. He says this in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God, be with, peace of God will be with you. So he says, if you do what I'm doing, the peace of God will be with you. So essentially he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, look at my life. Seek out godly mentors. That's what you need to do. People, look for people's lives that you want to en emulate, that you're that you love, that you care about, that you're excited about, and ask them, follow them. Ask them how they've succeeded with their business, how they've dealt with success. If you want a wife, ask a guy with a wife. You have a wife, she's nice. I want a nice wife. How do you get one, right? How do we do it? You want children? Ask a married couple. Hang with their children, mentor them, babysit their kids, and learn how they do it. You wanna learn theology? Find a Bible guy, find a pastor. Find someone to help you disciple you. Learn scriptures. Ask them, how do I repent? How do I continue to run the race well? Don't be afraid to ask. You know what? Here's one principle I can give you that's not from the Bible, it's just from me. Never reject a book. If someone offers you a book and you respect the person, or whether or not you do, a book is an opportunity to gain knowledge. And you can gain a knowledge that is not a good book or you can read the book. Never reject a book. I have many books, as you can see. I clearly can't reject a book. I'm telling you to become addicted like I am. But nonetheless, if you read books, you'll grow in knowledge and learn from other people just from a distance. God's peace will especially reside in those who have ordered their lives in accordance with God's will. And this includes proper and disciplined thoughts and good Christian living that you can find from somebody else. That's my prayer for you today. 
that you would engage other people to learn how not to be so anxious and that you can see that this three-pronged approach will change your life. God's peace is the antidote to anxiety. It is attainable, but you must look at this three-pronged approach to peace and you need to provide an environment to allow that to flourish. And if you can do that this morning, then I can assure you that anxiety will be gone and the peace of God will rest on you. Let's pray.